The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hey, Pels fans, today's episode of The Bird Calls is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or on social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sports drink but without the vowels. That's S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let the funk out. I'm a die a Pelicans fan because that bitch got New Orleans in front of me. Welcome to another edition of The Bird Calls. I am your host, David Grubb, and joining me is our editor-in-chief for TheBirdRights.com, Mr. Ali Cosell. And we'll also be joined in a moment uh, by David Fisher. Um, and Ali, here we are at the All-Star break for the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, we know the situation. They are in 11th in the West. Um, they go into it not playing their best basketball, uh, ending the homestand with uh, three straight losses and losing four out of five. Um, Tell me, give me your first impressions of where this team sits at the All-Star break. Mm, You you would have hoped they'd be sitting a little bit prettier, right? But I don't know how much we should have expected for CJ McCollum's adjustment period and his transition into this new team being seamless, right? And I think we saw all the hiccups. Offensively, they were fine. Even though they haven't still found their stride shooting a three ball, I thought for the most part, the offense was fine. And the numbers kind of say that. In the five games with CJ, um, the offense, I want to say, ranks somewhere around um, in the top 10th. Top, what was that? I want to say seventh. I don't have it in front of me. But the defense is the bigger issue, right? They just seemingly can't stop people. Um, and you saw that against in the Spurs game. Really saw them, all of them, at, at least at some points, but throughout that entire San Antonio game. And you know what? They're missing Josh Hart. And they haven't found a way to slow down opponents uh, collectively as a team at all. Because it wasn't this DeJounte Murray, you know, driving on them at will, even lighting up Herb a little bit. It's the fact that, you know, Keldon Johnson got his. Lonnie Walker got his. They were getting out in transition. I mean, Hells just were not able to take anything away. And it kind of reminded me of the team we saw, right, David, at the start of the year. Right? Yeah. They just weren't a cohesive bunch where somebody's getting beat. There wasn't good help. That It was just that type of thing. So hopefully this also break fixes it because, like you mentioned, going into uh, the break on a two-game losing streak. But really, they've just won one game since CJ's gotten here, one and four. And you're yeah. hoping they'd be better, right? They're, what, two games out behind the Trailblazers. So you got to expect they're going to fold. I know they've won four in but a row. But you can't count on it. Yeah, That's, no, no, no. Yeah. You've got to take care of your own business. You're right. You always say that, and I agree with you 100%. So hopefully they find it. Hopefully they figure out a starting lineup that works, number one, because I'm not sure, right, Jackson Hayes is is the answer. No. Against the Cleveland Cavaliers, it made sense, right? They started two bigs in that game. But against these other teams, I just I haven't seen yeah. Jackson's imprints on it, especially defensively where they need him. 
So I'm thinking you got to maybe explore Tony Snell, go some other route, but you definitely don't go back to Devontae Graham and CJ McCollum in the backcourt. Yeah, it's it's the defense has just bottomed out. Like you said, over the last five games, only Houston, Indiana, and Detroit have been worse defensively. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So you know, and, so and they were and David, what were they? In the previous like forty one games, right, right before the trade, where the Pelicans before that, yeah, because I had done um, that in, in one right. of our previews, and yeah, they were playing essentially top, top ten, right, top eleven like, defense. Yeah, they were top eleven defense and a top ten offense at that point. No, excuse me, top fourteen offense. Yeah, the so, offense was worse than the defense. Yeah, right. Yeah, the offense was like 14, 15. and like you said, offensively, their 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 O rating is one seventeen over these last four games. Very, very good. But you can't be at a 119 defensively. You don't oh, win God. at a 119. And we talked about the rule of 105. That's That's been my thing this season. Is the Pelicans give up 105 points or less. They are a dot, they win two-thirds of their games. And they are very good when they do that. When they don't, they are awful. And when you look at what they've done over these last – few games defensively what they gave up in the four um losses miami you gave up 112 san antonio like you said 124 124 to the spurs 121 to the grizzlies who yes have a good offense but you had held the, the last time you played them you held them to 105 uh, under 105 you held them 105 last time they played them held them to 105 Dallas, 125, and you let Luka get almost a 50-point triple-double. Luka almost had that through three quarters, remember? Yeah, it's crazy. He He had 45 points through three quarters. And, and I mean, that the the comeback late was, you know, it it, it was because Dallas stopped playing. And the Pelicans were able to sneak their way. CJ kept playing. Yes. CJ kept playing. But at that uh, point, like Alvin's always said, right? Remember during the Alvin days, yeah. down 20-some points? you got to be perfect to finish that game. And, of course, the Pels weren't to finish out. No, they, they started missing throws. shots again. They, they, yeah, they, they didn't take care of the basketball at appropriate times. And in the Dallas game, I mean, and this is something that I think we should do. Some of these we want to get out of the way before Fish comes because he gets so emotional. You know, and I, and, and, and I say that out of love. Because you see, if you follow us, you know his tweets. And part of this is like the Pelicans have nine different lineups that have a negative net rating. Nine that play, you know, significant minutes. The guys that have the highest number of appearances in those, Devontae Graham and um, Garrett Temple. Hmm. They are killing the Pelicans. The other guys are gone for the most part. Nikhil is gone. You know what I mean? You can't blame him anymore. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Sadoransky's gone. So you can't blame him anymore. Jackson only appears in one of those, but I think that has a lot to do with his minutes because they've been so weird this year. He just hasn't racked up enough minutes with any group of players um, to be significantly in the negative. Um, but Temple sinks lineups. And in the Dallas game, we were literally chronicling it in our group chat. He went in at this point of the game. This is the score. When he leaves, this is the score. Second half, the Pelicans had gotten it down to 11. He, he comes in, and it the lead the deficit doubles. Devontae Graham has been in the net negative 
for the last month and a half. I, I mean, will say like, coming off the bench, Devontae did look better, right? He came in. Better. Gave us some points, and that's all you can expect from him, right? But, I mean, it's, it's, it's not – whatever it is, Devontae's not giving you enough, and Garrett's taking – actively taking from you. Like, he's yeah, – yeah. Garrett's unplayable, talk- and I, I, I'm, we're lost. Everybody's lost. The fan base is lost. Media's lost. Why? He continues to earn privileged rotation minutes and because gonna, he doesn't deserve them. And I'm going to point this out because, Ali, you know, we get people who say, well, it's not as bad as Eric Bledsoe um, because Bledsoe was playing more minutes. This is the comparison for this year for Garrett Temple and Eric Bledsoe last year for per 100 possessions. Okay. You got Temple shooting 38% compared to 42% for Bledsoe. Three-point percent percentage 32 to 34 um, and then offensive rating. This is what we talk about. Garrett sinks your offense. 101. 101 when Garrett Temple's on the court. For a team that overall right now is pushing a 117 during this, this streak. For the season, he's at a 101. Last year, Bledsoe was still at a 108 for a very mediocre offensive team. Mm-hmm. So it's like defensively, sure, they're both bad. And they both – but. Garrett makes the offense so much worse. His turnovers out of nowhere. You saw it just the ball just fell out of his hands and went out of bounds against Dallas. He has a mind-numbing turnover seemingly. Seriously, there's one or two every game. And considering his touches are low, that's that, that's just not acceptable. Because here's my issue with Garrett. When he's on the court, opponents literally have to only guard four guys. You know, they're playing five on four. And Temple, while he has never been a uh, long distance shooter, right? Per se, where you've got to really just watch him. Well, now he can't even make the open shots, right? Since January, he's true shooting percentage has taken this, you know, just a nosedive off a cliff. You know, he was well over 50% October, November, December, January, David, 40.6%. Here in February, 39.5%. Three point shooting percentages, 20.8% January, 25% February. Like I say, he's not a volume guy anyway, so you don't have to worry about if he makes one or two because he's not going to all of a sudden burn you for five in a game. But the fact that he can't even get you a bucket now, there's and no reason why defenses should guard two. him. And I've watched it. If you watch like just some of these games, literally whoever's guarding him is 10 feet off of him, and they have no, you know, in mind um, of I've got to make sure I get back out and close out on him when he gets catches the ball, right? It, it, it's just it, – it's unacceptable, like I said, and defensively. That's where his value is supposed to be, and I'm sorry. He's not slowing anybody down. He kind of had some decent games earlier in the year, and specifically, I just remember that matchup against the Mavericks, right? It was a back-to-back, but in the second one, where the Pels won, where Josh Hart didn't play, Garrett Temple did a really good job against Luka. You know, I know a lot of players played well that game, but I remember Temple standing out, but that's been such a rare sighting, right? So, yeah, he's been, and and we we don't, you know, disparage players without reason, but he seriously hasn't given Willie Green and this team anything in his minutes for at least two months now. And it hasn't made sense when you saw Tony Snell sit the first two games. Yep. And then over the last three, go six for 12 from three point range and play active defense. Mm -hmm. Those were the, all the only things you were asking of Garrett Temple is what Tony Snell younger, more athletic, and a better career shooter. And people talk about how bad shooting he was in Portland. 
that's a, not his norm. He almost made, like you said last time, we, he makes all, last year he made almost 50% for his career. He was over 40% until this season. So if this yes, is an a legitimate three and D wing who plays his role to a T and he's played on some very good teams, right? With the bucks, he started a bunch of games for them. So it's not like you're throwing him out there and he's a blood. He got good Temple minutes type. for Atlanta last year. He was great for Atlanta. Absolutely. So here's the other thing with these new rotations. Now, you know, what's a problem. Suddenly Jose Alvarado didn't get yep. any minutes. And of course, Trey Murphy can't even crack the rotation. So I'm hoping, boy, I'm really hoping that Willie Green really sits down and figures that part out because to us, it's kind of obvious on who's hurting the team right now and who should be playing versus let's give some guys, but especially Jose Alvarado, for instance, who did play well, who wasn't net positive. You got to keep them in the lineups. You absolutely do. I, I didn't understand why he didn't play, especially when you the biggest problem you have against a team like Dallas is that there are really only two ball handlers, Brunson yeah. and Luke. Those are the only two that are going to hurt you. So, yes. Right. So, if you don't have somebody who can apply, look, with Luca, yeah. I'm not, I, I could, I still could use Alvarado on Luca just because Luca's size does not impede Alvarado from making him work to get the ball up court. And that's what you want is looking to expend energy mm-hmm. because he, we know his fitness is in question. I, I think Jose Alvarado would have been perfect on Jalen Brunson. Absolutely. Somebody has to keep Br- Brunson is the only other guard you're worried about creating his own shot. Everybody yeah, else a, is reliant he a, on He's done a great job against a bunch of teams this year, but especially against the Pelicans. They, they couldn't slow him down at all. No. So, and, yeah, and it can't just be Herb Jones in that starting lineup. I think that's where we're coming to, right? Defense has been awful, and everybody wants to seemingly pin it on CJ is now playing, and there's no Josh Hart. Well, yeah, but you can find other ways to help out CJ in the lineup. And CJ's not the reason. If your offense no. is being this efficient, CJ is certainly making his value felt. Defensively, it's not like what you gave up was a position for position swap. Devontae is a bigger problem defensively than CJ. Yes. It, I mean, you can't tell me CJ's the comp. And I will also, like you said, you pointed out, and did, you know, Jackson is still a questionable defender at best. He does not protect the rim. He does not rebound in volume. Remember, this is still a kid with only one double-double this season. Mm-hmm. So show when was his last multi-block game, Molly? How many does he have this year? Yeah. My so, thing is he also just doesn't stop his own man. Outside of that game against the Cleveland Cavaliers where he really did, he did a great job on Evan Mobley. I haven't seen him take away his, his assignment to where he's made him a non-factor. Jackson will score. And we've talked about this for two years now, and I've said it time and time again. That's not why they brought him here. They didn't bring him here just to score. They brought him to be the front-line defender. That was his job. The reason they brought Favors in that first year was because they needed a defensive center while Jackson figured it out. That was supposed to be his redshirt year. So then you go get Adams, another defensive-minded center, Mm -hmm. to try to teach that kid how to play defense. You signed Adams to an extension right up front because you weren't probably too confident in Jackson Hayes after seeing what you had seen, right? Right. And Jonas is not a great defender, but he is a willing defender. Yeah. 
He will compete defensively. And you assigned him to an extension as well. When yeah, you can't to- expect, yeah, you can't expect Jonas to go out there and guard pick and rolls out on the perimeter. He's smart. He's going to stay back, and that's how the defense should be played, him in drop coverage. Yes. Because otherwise he's just going to be toast. So there's no value in him being out on the perimeter. So keep and him locked in the And you've got bad wing defenders. But that's that- why Jackson needs to shine, because he has that ability. And it's just not coming through consistently enough. And I don't know if it's a combination of instincts and desire and how much of it is, is desire, but I have always it Jackson is seeking. I think there's desire now, David, if I can interject, I think there's desire. We've seen it now because he's giving multiple efforts and talking to people and you, and you can see him trying to understand, but here's the problem. His basketball IQ is still so low. His fundamentals, his grasp of the game are just, uh, just, you know, still in the novice stage, right? So how much can he help you? How much can you, right? How much can you rely on him? His Uh, lack of maturity on the floor, he uh, a negative play hangs with him. He he argues with refs and affects him for a couple possessions. That's a given now. Yeah, that's got to stop. So you can't count on him. You still cannot say I can count on him because ultimately. Your goal is to get to a nine-man rotation. A good team does not go 11-12 deep. They stick with nine primary people with players that they can bring in and out of the lineup as needed. You don't have that again with the Pelicans, and the point was of, of the movement was supposed to be to get the depth. Well, Devontae Graham has to find some balance. Tony Snell has to get some minutes, and Jackson Hayes has to defend better. And then also you, you, you have to keep Garrett Temple off the court. He cannot play. He, he might as well, if you want to keep him on the payroll, make him an assistant, but he cannot play. Yeah. I like the answer. Will asked in, in the last game and post game where he basically said, you know, there's been a lot of changes within the rotation, especially with the reserves, but why has Garrett Temple kept a solid grasp on his spot? And then Willie Green, I don't know if you remember this, David, but he replied mm-hmm. basically, I don't know. It's going to be something I have to look at. So <laughs> that's not the best response considering you're the guy that's responsible for him getting minced consistently. So why did you answer it that way? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm guessing that he always gave him the benefit of the doubt. And he did start the year better. He had proven to be a positive at least mm-hmm. at times. But since then, he's fallen off a cliff. And maybe he was hoping that he could, you know, be kind of somebody he could rely on with Josh Hart, especially being gone. But as we've just already talked about, and as everybody can plainly see, he's just not giving you anything on either end. So I think that's why we got Willie's answer as an I don't know, because he couldn't say anything positive. But let's just hope that there are going to be changes once this All-Star break. We're done with it. And the first game is, what, Friday, right, against the Suns? Yeah, and, you know, it's not like you – look, it's, it's no matter what, it's a challenge against the Suns, but, you know, there's no Chris Paul. Um, that's a really a big deal because the Pels have played the Suns tough a lot of times in the last couple of years, right? Yes. But it's fourth quarters have been their undoing. And a lot once, of those have been they let Booker get loose in the fourth. Um, yeah, but and I remember killed. once this year, once last year specifically. But yeah, he, Booker's a problem. But I'm saying Chris Paul's really. Yeah, oh, the pick yeah. and roll. Chris Paul's killed the Pelicans. He dissected the, pick and roll, the no Pels, matter yeah. Whether it's been Aiton, no matter whether it's been Bismack Biombo. Yep. It doesn't matter who that is. Um, and then. And what Chris Paul also did to the Pelicans, which is all, which may not happen, obviously, with him gone, is he gave so many off-the-ball opportunities to guys, guys like Mikael Bridges. You know, of him cutting and Chris Paul being like, here you go, boom, bucket. So that's not going to So happen. here's the rotation. So what are we thinking? Or should we wait for the guys and maybe we'll t- come back to this once? Yeah, we'll wait for Fish, fish and- on the rotation. Okay. But I'm just l- looking at what they have coming out of the break. And you, get, you go to Phoenix, 
Then you go to the Lakers, no Anthony Davis, Lakers in disarray, you know, LeBron. Oh, and LeBron's flat out not happy with management, right? Right. This can go real south real quick for them. Then you come home and you get Sacramento, another team that you're like, what the hell? You know, it's Alvin. So, you know, who knows what can happen? And things are always weird. I mean, I've said this before. Things are always weird when the Pelicans play Sacramento. Yeah, but what's scary is, you know, that De'Aaron Fox, DeMontis Sabonis now pick and roll. How well can we yes. guard that? I, I, but I mean, we couldn't guard we couldn't guard De'Aaron Fox when he didn't have anybody. No, I agree. But so now, it's like you know. The, now I'm just saying what I'm saying is I guess I see a bigger challenge now, even though there's no Halliburton. Yeah. Oof, I, I just don't like their chances if they play the type of defense we saw in the, the it's last a five tough, games. It's a tough open out of there because again, you go at Phoenix, the Lakers again. You should probably you can win that game. Yeah, you can win that game, but it's it's a road game. Pelicans are not great. Yeah, I mean, road. AD's got his twisted ankle. LeBron, I don't know. He may already be out of juice. Yeah, and then you got Sacramento. Utah, which is going to be tough. Oh, yeah. Then you get Denver, which is at Denver, which is always tough. Then you're at Memphis, which is now who knows what kind of role they're going to be in. It doesn't get – you don't get an easy game necessarily until March 9th when you get, come home and you get the magic. Right. <laughs> Six games into the 23 games remaining. Or the, excuse me, that's the seventh game. So, yeah, that's a long time to wait to hope for a winning streak to start. So let's 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 do this early on. Pelicans twenty three and thirty six. Okay, so how and many welcome. wins? How many wins does it take um, to them for them to to get into ten? Ollie. Mm, yeah. First of all, I want to say hi to David and Kevin. I see they just joined us. Yes. And guys, we're, we're just actually, we started off talking about what we've seen basically out of the last five games, where we basically just touched on the defense has fallen off a map. The offense has been better than, um, than it was before, even though they're still not making three ball. Talked about Garrett Temple, how he shouldn't be in the rotation. And we touched on several other things on who should be. And we'll jump into the proper rotations. But right now, as David right, just Right, we wanted to hold you, that till you guys came in to get into uh, the proper rotations. But like I always said. Yeah, so anyways, you said, ask me, and I think, you know, you've got to get somewhere to within, say, seven or eight games of 500. Because that's seemingly, I think, been the pattern over the last couple of years on the, which teams made 10th. You don't have to be a 500 team. But so the Pelicans are going to have to win, say, about four more games than they lose. Four or five more games coming in, I think, to at least have a chance. Kevin, what's your thought? How many wins do they have to, to get um, to, to qualify for the 10th spot? Uh, I don't really know. I, I don't know. I, I haven't really looked the standings in a minute just because I wasn't. Up, Kev, really... Call back in because your, your mic is really breaking up. Okay. All right. All right, Fish, uh, let's go to you. How many, how many wins? At 23 and 36 right now, just – your ballpark number. Uh, wh- how many wins do they have to get down the stretch to, to be playoff ready? Um, I think in order to guarantee that they're going to, you know, make the play in, they need to get to 37 total wins. So that means they need to win. They need to go 14 and nine down the stretch. Um, if they can get to, you know, somewhere in that 35, 36 range, it's possible that they can get to 10, but now they're, they're, they're hoping for things to go right 
between you know how they finish and how Portland finishes and San Antonio finishes. I feel like 37, if they get to 37, that's a place that I don't think Portland and, and San Antonio are going to get to. So 14 like of that. the next 14 of the next 23 games. All right, Kevin, let's try it again. Yeah, I mean, that sounded good to me what Fish said. I, I haven't really been standings watching just because I don't really – I mean, while I want us to win, I, I feel like this year has been so topsy-turvy and, and like, getting into the play-in after the setback of once we traded for CJ and sort of losing, you know, most of the games that he's played. We've only won one since he's been back. Not that I think it's a bad move. I just think it's more gearing towards looking towards the future and not so much – um, the the play in, but uh, I think the number that that fish said would be the number I I would guess. It's it's not going to be easy. No, I mean, no. you know, of those twenty three games, twelve of them are on the road, and this is not a good road team. And the home slate, you know, you have, like I said, we were talking about before. You've got Utah, you got Charlotte, you've got Phoenix, you got Chicago, you got San Antonio. You got the Lakers, you got Portland, and you got Golden State. Now, sure, Portland and Golden Portland may still be fighting with you in that game, so that game means something now. And Golden State, sure, that game may mean nothing to them, but it could mean something. It could mean a two seed or a three seed, depending on how Phoenix goes without Chris Paul. So you have no let up seemingly in the schedule down the stretch. So it's not going to be easy for them to go fourteen and nine. One beneficial beneficial thing I want to say quickly is, hey, at least they play the Trailblazers two more times and the Spurs. Got to get all those games. Yeah, and they play the Lakers three times. And if you're if you're really got big eyeballs, um, and you think that there's a possibility that not only they could get to not ten, but if the Lakers continue to fall apart um, and AD's out you know, for an extended period of time here and things haven't exactly gone swimmingly there in Los Angeles. And it, as a Pelicans fan, you want the Lakers to finish as low as possible because if that pick lands in the top 10, instead of going to Memphis, it's staying here in New Orleans. Um, the Pelicans play the Lakers three times. Um, and it, it might be a situation where they can, they could, if they could get the 37 or 38 wins, not only am I, in my mind, are they guaranteeing that they're in the play in? If they can get to 37 wins, there's a, there's a chance they finish ahead of the Lakers. So, and then that play in game might be at home instead of on the road. My thought is, I'm kind of, you know, feeling Kevin at this point is like, I, I, I get, you know, Whenever you make an in-season trade, and that is my thought had always been, you are not talking about making dramatic changes during the season in your record. It's not, it's very difficult to do that. And with Larry Nance still a few weeks away, it's going to be tough for the interior defense to get better anytime soon. I don't, you know, Devontae Graham is still going to get minutes. There are some just, this is, it's going to be a few more games at least until the defense figures something out. Um, and there are some very good offensive teams that they have to face during that time while they're figuring it out. Uh, so it is about next year. And so that does kind of lead into this, this thing that we have to address. We need to deal with it. I'm not going to say the phrase cause it's a little bit too on the nose, but what I'm going to say is the Pelicans themselves put out their materials, their advertising materials for season ticket packages for next year. And in those materials, they did not include any mention of Zion Williamson. 
Now, you know, I don't want to get on, let's not overreact to it, but let's just give our initial reactions. And Ali, I'll start with you again. I'm a fan of it. I think that we've seen a change in the Pelicans uh, standard of operating procedures, right? To where before they were certainly always acquiescing to every whim of Zion and his camp to make sure that he always looks good, or at least he's not impacted negatively. Well, I think we saw the first change when David Griffin spoke to us, right? Right after the trade for CJ McCollum, where he also talked about Zion, where he used that word anecdotally and basically told us that I don't really know what's going on because we don't have any firsthand knowledge on how Zion truly um, looks on the basketball court conditioning wise. And of course with that bone, I mean, we are now weeks past when we're supposed to have his latest scan. And so with him to finish his thought on Zion saying, I don't know, says a lot. It now basically, basically puts it out there for everybody to see that Pelicans are not in lockstep with Zion. And I feel like today's um, issuance of that um, season ticket holder brochure where they don't mention Zion Williamson, that's another sign to me where he's no longer going to hold or we're not going to allow him to hold us captive, hostage, whatever word you want to choose. Because it's true. How can you continue to hang your hat on something that's not working out? And to your question specifically, from a marketing standpoint, I don't see how you can continue to sell a fan base on a guy that's played in 85 games and missed way more than he's played in. So, like I said, I like the deal. I certainly don't think this means that Zion's on the trade block or anything like that, but it goes to show that the Pelicans are trying to, I think, at least – grab back some control over this whole situation. Something that I think we've been calling for them to do for not only months, but I want to say years, right? Since mm-hmm. basically after Zion's rookie season, after how the bubble transpired. Kevin? Yeah, I mean, I feel like they got a lot of heat for the way the injury was handled this offseason, sort of waiting to announce it till after – renewals came in even though they knew he was injured first and I think this is a little bit of damage control on their part um, by not trying to use him to sell season tickets when there's such uncertainty surrounding him in terms of if he'll be back to play um, if he wants to be here Um, and you know like you know I I think I've talked about it a lot about how I just feel like this has run its course Um, but we have a lot of things here on this team to celebrate and be happy about and that feel promise going in uh, to the future with, with some of the foundation we have here. So I like that they're shifting the marketing more towards promoting those guys and the guys that are here and that are buying in and are um, contributing to building a a new identity for this team uh, under Willie green. Um, So I I think it was a, it was a good decision because it won't be one that'll, that will blow up in their face because if Zion's back and he's back, then, you know, you'll get the burst from that, but you won't have any blowback from, Oh, you used uh, this guy who you knew was asking out and you had to trade him or this injury is still lingering on, or he's still an enigma. You know, at this point, I feel like Zion's kind of Mandela effect. Like, did he ever wear a Pelicans uniform? I think we all collectively sort of remember him doing so, but, um, I don't know. It, it's just such a weird situation. And I think it's smart of them to pivot away from making him the face of the franchise when he, his face hasn't been seen in months. 
fish. I don't want us to to do to delve into hyperbole, and I don't want us to do um, speculation because you know we could do that. Um, but it's I don't think it's fair. You trying to say that's that's what I do here? No, no, no. I'm not saying you. <laughs> I'm saying we could. We all very easily could because we do in in group chat. That's where you get yeah. your your conspiracy theories. You know, I'm just using that as the, a generic catch-all. But that's where you say your shit, and we, and we say our shit in there. I don't always mean it. We're just throwing stuff against the wall and saying this is what I think in this moment, and they're reactionary things. But in this space, to be less reactive, because every reaction we have is out there on Twitter for folks to see. If you want to see the reactions, they're there. Um, but in this, oh no, moment, I keep I keep the the really toxic shit. Fine. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm saying you know <laughs> what I mean. Like in the when we were when you can tell our more emotional reactions to things than our more intellectual responses. But in this regard, this doesn't happen without the sign off of two people, David Griffin and Gail Benson. You know, this is her financial investment. So she knows, wants to know what the marketing is. She gets a review. She may not be in the nuts and bolts, but she knows. And David Griffin, this is his, his he's not just the vice president of Encore. He's in charge of everything. So what is it? Do you think that there is something in the messaging that is being indicated to Zion, to his people from the Pelicans. Not that this they want to sever the relationship, not that this, but is there a signal within this to him? I, I go back to what Josh Hart said, gosh, on his podcast months ago, where he pretty much said, you know, if he comes back, that's great, but we're not waiting for him to come in and save us. And I think that is what the organization is putting out in mass to the fans of this team that, you know, received that. I was, I was one of the many who received that via email. Um, and of course they know that that's going to be propagated um, throughout the internet. Um, I don't think, I don't think the team is sending a message to Zion Williamson or his camp necessarily through that through what they're doing there. I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to send a message to the fans and to the rest of the people in the organization that are showing up, that are putting on the uniform every day, that we are not, we are no longer waiting for Zion to ride in on the white horse and save us. We will be good period. We are going to compete period. We are not, we are not waiting for a miracle we are here now and we are going to compete. We are going to try to win. We plan on making at least the play in. That's that's the plan. And the plan isn't, and hopefully Zion comes and saves us. And then all these wonderful things are going to happen. We're going to do it with or without him. Hmm. Um, and that's not that, that's not something that's necessarily against Zion, but it's just a but situation pro, where I Fish, let me ask you this. Because for me, it sends a message, but not not to where he's completely being targeted per se, but it's not within the superstar handbook, right? Because there's a certain way you handle stars. And so you would think Zion's name, at least from my standpoint, stars I would think they would mention more than 85 games they would, in three seasons, but they would, I know, but they would mention him somewhere <laughs> because that's what you do. You appease the star at every turn. He gets an honorary mention regardless of how many games he's played, and they didn't do it. So to me, it is kind of a message, but I'm curious – I'm, I'm I, 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 I think the Pelicans main focus here is their internal messaging to what they're telling their team, their organization, their coaching staff by saying this. And it's you, 
But he believed in you. Respond, you yeah, but how do you respond to acquiescing to the superstar, which is something every team does, does even the Lakers, right? Even the, the Knicks, if they had a star. But you know what I mean? The big markets, they still have well, to I, grovel I, I would, and acquiesce to stars. Well, I'd say this. Maybe in this regard, clearly what they're saying is we have two all-stars here, if not three, you know. Um, we, we, like like Fish said, I, I think ultimately you have to add, you have to sell what you have. No, absolutely. And I agree with everything Fish said, but I'm saying this is like a subliminal message for me to Zion's camp. I think without no, I think a doubt. I, I, think, I, I don't I think, think it's hostile. To... Yeah, I don't think it's a hostile message, though. I, I think here, it is, here's here's it my is response to that would be I don't think the Pelicans are – I don't think the Pelicans as an organization need to be in a place where they need to send messages to Zion Williamson through it wasn't the email. No, no, no. I, 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 I don't think any of it is subliminal kind of or anything like that. You know I, mean? I think it's very direct to the fans and to the organization that this is what we have right now and we believe in it and you should believe in it too. I think that's the message. I I agree with all. I think it is to the players as well, the players that are here, Mm -hmm. because I think, I mean, we've 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 heard the reports that there are just uh, just the general attitude is he's not here, and those guys have to rally around who's there, and like you said, for them mentally, you have to put him out of your head in large part, and to do that, it is essentially it is isolating because mentally, I cannot. It's I, and I don't think it, it's any different than at some point, you know, once, you know, once they knew Michael Thomas wouldn't come back, the Saints, the, nobody on the team was thinking about Michael Thomas. You know what I mean? Like he's not in the, he can't be them practicing. No, I know, but here's the difference, guys. This is for next year, right? This is looking down the road. So not by not even just including his name to me, to me, I, it's just to me, it's, it's a signal. It's a sign. It's a little bit of a message. That's all. It. I mean, it is season tickets for, you know, for next year, but they're being at sold the bottom right of now. that, they're pushing like you're going to block in your tickets for the playoffs this year. I mean, there's they're trying to sell you on what you know is, yeah. Um, sure. But at the same time, I, I think it's much less that they're, they're trying to send a message to Zion. Oh, I agree with that. Yes, absolutely. They're absolutely. trying to send a message to the team and the organization internally that we built this and we believe in it. Yes. And I think that's what I the mean, fan I, base needs that. The fan base needed yeah. that because you see it in the in Pelicans Twitter and in all those things. You see a fan base that just wants consistency. And that's I think that's the way most people want is just I want to know what I need, what I can know. And just tell me that and I'll deal with it. And I think now if, as long as everybody's on the same page that we, we're not going to talk about Zion, it's, it's like they've taken the approach we've asked everybody to take. We ain't gonna talk about Zion till Zion's here. The rest of it, it's out of sight, out of mind. And yeah. that again, it's not a hostile act. It's just what you have to do in life. If here, here's just, here's another like, thing, like if you're talking about subliminal stuff, if you really want to give the maybe the most pro Zion spin on this, if you know the things that people have hypothesized about maybe you know it's a mental issue and hey he's 21 years old he broke his foot working out things didn't heal right it's it's a bone like come on let's talk about that for a second it's a bone either it heals or it doesn't now we can talk about like you know extenuating circumstances with his weight and blah 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 but he broke a bone in his foot it hasn't healed we have a history of big men tall men 
like Zion who break break their feet and it doesn't heal properly. Second surgeries are needed. There are setbacks, et cetera. He's only 21 years old. All of the feedback, et cetera, is negative around him. Maybe the organization is doing him a favor by not putting the pressure on him that, oh, and Zion's going to be back next year and stuff like that. Maybe this might be at the behest of yeah, Zion, be, uh, Zion, Zion's yeah. people. Let's get to Kevin's like, hey, we're but this, this, do we want his, to, this is for his mental health. I mean, that we're just going to. Do we want to speculate on it anymore? Or do we want to move on to the no. lineup? Well, I want to see if Kevin's no, no, no. got anything to add. <laughs> All right, Kevin, do you want to add anything to this? No, um, I I think we covered it. All right, see, I didn't think Kevin was going to talk about that anymore either. Because, like I said, Kevin and I have, this, have been saying this for a while, right, Kevin? He ain't here, yeah. don't talk about it. Right. He ain't here, don't talk about it. All right. So, um, the, the big question going into the break and coming out of the break are the rotations for this team. Um, so, Kevin, I'm, I'm going to let you start with this. Give me your Give me your top nine. You know, you're starting five and your four subs off the bench. Um, as currently constructed, because obviously we we all of us would include Larry Nance in that group um, were he healthy. Um, but of what you have right now, give me your top nine. All right. So CJ, um, BI, Herb, uh, Jackson, and JV would be my starting lineup. Um, then I would have Jose, Trey, let me think here. Snell. Yeah, Snell. I'll give Snell some run. That is correct. And I guess, uh, I mean, you got to play Devontae just because um, of his contract and his stature and all of that stuff. And really, there's not there's not necessarily anybody better than him. Uh, it's just, uh, just as unfortunate as we've been saying that they didn't make a move to get a bigger guard after they made the CJ move. Um but yeah, that that's that would be my top nine. Um, I think you got to go as big as possible in the starting lineup. I mean, I I don't mind if you swap Jackson out for Trey. If you want to have Jackson more, my idea was you sub Jackson out first, and then Trey comes in, and then Jackson comes in as that backup center as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I'd roll for now and totally eliminate. Uh, he who has sunken plus minuses to the depths of hell. Fish. Um, mine's very similar to Kevin's, um, but like Grub, like you and I have been talking from the beginning, I think the Pelicans would be best served putting Trey Murphy in the starting lineup. Just surround him with good players. Give him a relatively narrow role. Um, he'd get a lot of open shots if he's on the floor with CJ, BI, and Jonas. Um, he get a lot of opportunity to show what he can do in that kind of role. <clears throat> I think he gives you more defensively than Jackson gives you, especially as your nominal power forward. So I'd, I'd, I'd start Trey Murphy as your power forward. If you want to call Brandon Ingram, your power forward and Trey, your small forward, however you want to do it nominally um, from there. And then um, the reserves I would bring off the bench while trying to still be realistic. Um, I'd bring Alvarado, uh, Devonte Graham, Snell and then Jackson Hayes as as my four reserves and you can mix mix and match from there um how you're going to do it you'd have some times I think especially against starting units you want to avoid playing CJ and Devontae at the same time 
but in reserve situations at the beginning of the second and the fourth quarter, that might be more tenable. Or you can do have situations where you play um, Alvarado and um, Devonta Graham, or Alvarado and uh, CJ McCollum in the in those reserve units. Um, I, I think El- Alvarado has earned the slot in the rotation, like just point blank. Not because you know his performance relative to being an undrafted rookie or. Or the lack of depth of the roster. Or the lack of depth of the roster, any of those things. No, he's been just straight up good. He comes off the bench. He changes the energy. He leads the team in plus minus. That's not an accident. Um, If you're bringing him off the bench, he actually unlocks a lot of what Jackson does. He's probably the closest thing this team has to a pure point guard. And he loves playing defense. And the Pelicans need that dude off the bench. I really hope the Pelicans sign him to a real NBA contract sometime between now and the first week of March or the end of the season to give him some more money in the bank and to let him know that he has a contract here next year. Um, <clears throat> ideal. I mean, Devonte. I think he can, he can contribute better if he's coming off the bench. Um, Snell, I think is the best reserve wing the team has if you're starting Trey Murphy. And then, I mean, you need to have at least one big coming off the bench. And so you can, you can have Jackson come in early and he can sub out Trey and you can place, you know, some Jackson at the four with Jonas at the five. And then you can get Jonas out of there and Jackson can slide to the five for a little bit against bench units only, especially in a situation where Alvarado's out there. So your point of attack defense improves, which makes things easier for Jackson. Um, But those are the nine I would roll with. Ollie, I'm going to let you have the last word, so I'm going to give mine real quick. Um, my five is 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 like fishes because I do I do believe you put Trey out there. If Trey's getting the shots that Graham is getting now, I think eventually he's going to be making those at a higher rate, and you give Graham that lack of pressure of the first three quarters, which now seem like he just cannot make a bucket in the first three quarters. So if he's not starting games well and he's bringing your offense down by not also not contributing – He's not giving you a ton of assists right now. He's not really rebounding either, and you don't expect him at that height, and he's not helping your defense. So, you know, I, I think if you do give Trey those minutes, you get you replace some of what you lost with Josh as far as rebounding goes. You keep length in that starting lineup because you are a small team uh, in general, and you allow Jackson the flexibility of, A, not getting into foul trouble quickly as a starter, which he is apt to do. Um, but you give them that flexibility of coming in as either the four or the five, depending on your matchups. Um, on the bench, like for me, Devontae is like my eighth or my ninth. And I kind of have um, like um, him split with Najee because I want those minutes kind of carved up a bit. Like he, Jose and Najee, I, I want them to play. But I think, you know, and it's based on those matchups again. So, like, Alvarado should play every night. Graham is going to play every night. We know this. But I think Najee, matchup-wise, because, again, you don't have a ton of length on your bench, you need to be able to to bring him in at times to guard guys based on situations. Um, So that's my addition, of course, with Jackson being your, your, your primary big off the bench and then Willie, you know, of course, down the line as a spot guy. But that's my group. Ali? I'm going to differ from the rest of you guys. I'm starting Tony Snell. 
instead of Kevin's Jackson Hayes and your guys' Trey Murphy. And the numbers say you should. He's been outstanding with those other four starters. He's also, I feel like, going to fill the hole that this Pelicans have suffered since that Josh Hart trade. And that is having a second defender out there on the perimeter next to Herb Jones. I, I, I think Tony can do fill that role perfectly. You know, because Josh Hart didn't have a big offensive role, even though it's gotten larger, especially this year. He's still largely played within the framework of the offense, especially in half-court offenses. So you're not going to ask Tony to differ too much. He'll be a better floor spacer than Josh. But defensively, that's where you really need the improvement. So Jackson Hazen's starting lineup has not worked. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Pelicans, while they score pretty darn well, they're giving up – it's almost a 150 uh, defensive rating – with Jackson Hayes in the starting lineup with a regular start. So I just feel like that's just not going to work. So yeah, Tony Snell gets the start fifth start as your fifth starter. And then off the bench, I like Trey, tying Trey Murphy more to Jose Alvarado. And then one of BI or CJ, whoever's out there that way you're going to feel like you're going to get him not only good looks, but you're also going to hit him with those good looks. And Jose's this team's best point guard, right? He's their truest general floor general. So I like Trey Murphy being alongside of him. Plus you're going to have that size next to what's likely going to be a lot of minutes together with both Jose and uh, Devonte Graham. Um, as for your other guys coming off the bench, besides Jose, Devonte and uh, Trey, you've got to of course give Jackson some run. And I think some nights Billy Hernan Gomez. So Garrett Temple's obviously out. Unfortunately, not G Marshall isn't going to get any minutes either. But I don't think the Pelicans should go to an eight or nine man rotation. I think they've got enough to do with 10. But I think what becomes really fun, and I'm sure we'll talk about down the road, is Larry Nance. Who does he replace and whose minutes he soaks up? Because I think he's going to be a huge piece to this team as well at some point. Yeah, you've got to play Nance when he comes. You have to. You have to see what he can do. Um, Because you don't have anyone like him now. And, And I think that, you know, to and this is clearly a dude who wants to ball like he is anxious to play so i want to see what type of energy and impact he has and to me you can't take snell out of the rotation if he continues to play like this no he's a professional just like nance man that we expect him to be right we need those guys in a lineup so if you're going to win down the stretch if if nance comes back and we said nance would be like like mid-march we're talking about march 18th then he's back for the last 10 or 11 games he could be a difference maker against those teams. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to need with this team, the Pelicans thing is always going to be, can they get stops? So to me, the guys who lose are guys who have to play offense. And that becomes Jackson again, because Mm -hmm. as much as you like playing him, Willie's shown that if he's not playing defense, he will put him back on the bench. And I think that's where Nance is going to take those minutes because if Nance comes in and he's blocking shots and he's getting steals, which he does, then he's rebounding. He's boxing out. Yeah. If he's doing, if he's setting screens and he's guard three through five. Yeah. So, and you're able to switch him and Herb on, on other teams from, yeah, that come on. You have, you can play him as a small ball five. It's just, yeah, it, 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 he's taking some minutes from Jackson. He has to. Because this until Jackson's ready him. to play center, and he's not, then you have to take those minutes from Jackson. This is why I wanted him. I mean, he unlocks <laughs> so much. The Pelicans can do. The, the thing is, the issue, and and we were talking about it 
I was talking about it with somebody else on Twitter today. The issue is the Pelicans only have essentially one defensive scheme that they can run. They run drop. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially at the end of the games, they run drop. And the thing is, is that Willie looks down at the bench and he's like, in crunch time, can I trust Jackson Hayes to be the center out there? Hell no. Because we're gonna get, a, get we're gonna give up a million offensive rebounds if I put him out there. Can I trust um, Willie Hernan Gomez Gomez over Jonas? No, you would never do that because Jonas is like the supersized version uh, of Willie. The thing is, is that if he looks down there and it's a defensive situation now, he can look down when when Nance is healthy. He can look down there and it's like Nance is my defensive center. Like we want to change it up. We want to rush or we want to play up at the level of the screen instead of just dropping back. Larry Nance is here. And when you do that, you unlock a lot more of what you can do on offense. Because the thing is, is that the the Pelicans defensive issue is the fact that for as much progress as Brandon Ingram has made defensively. And for the fact that CJ defensively is assignment sound. Neither one of those guys get over screens very well. Herb gets over screens. Alvarado gets over screens. But neither one of those guys get over screens well. And if you have two guys on your team, your two primary options offensively, who can't get over screens, and the only center that you can trust in in, in crunch time is Jonas Valanciunas, and you have to play drop or else you're getting eaten alive, then you have like the San Antonio Spurs game where they just get destroyed in, in, in the floater range, essentially. Mm -hmm. And Larry Nance changes that calculus. He gives, he gives Willie green a tool that he doesn't have because you can't trust Jackson Hayes to go do that because if Jackson Hayes goes and goes and does that. Yeah. He can probably, he can play up on the level and he can switch on, on smalls and he can do all those things, but your defensive rebounding becomes atrocious with him at the five. And your interior defense, because teams still will attack the basket which if Jackson's on the floor. They are not scared of him at the rim. Mm-hmm. And you see it. I mean, teams that have the ability to get in the paint, whether it's by touch and kick or by finishing at the rim, they they do that against the Pelicans. And that's why, you know, people say, well, the Pelicans lose the three-point thing every night. Because, again, it's the defense. When they are giving up three-point shots like that, it's because the opposing team is getting their guards into the paint and they're kicking it out for very open looks. And that's, that's what's been happening the last five games. I mean, teams are shooting the ball incredibly well against the Pelicans and the defense fell off a cliff. It's like Ollie and I were talking about this before you guys came on 119 B rating over the last five games, 119. That's, that's, that's unconscionable. And especially against the teams that you're going Miami, Miami's not that efficient. San Antonio shouldn't be that efficient. It it just doesn't make sense. Memphis is very good offensively. Dallas is not what they were two years ago. But you're making it too easy for teams. They're just coming in. It's easy, uh, and and certainly the refs have not helped. And you know, we could go on an hour about how shitty the refereeing was during that homestand, and it really was. But you can't have a two and four homestand. That was just really disappointing to go through a two and four homestand at this stage of the season. Um, we've addressed Zion. We've addressed where we are. We addressed where we think they're going to be. Gentlemen, is there something that we feel like we've missed? I don't think so. I know probably a lot of people want to keep talking about Zion, but we'll do that plenty. Right? Yeah. It's, 
There's just nothing to say. What are we supposed to say? You know, I mean, like, I know people want right. to say, well, what do we if know? you're going to trade right. him. We want, right. We don't we know. Don't. There's not enough information. No. Yeah, so even though we everybody talked about it over All-Star Weekend, CJ talking about, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Well, yeah, welcome to the club, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, what makes you different? Like, what? You, and nobody else knows what makes you different. Uh, until he shows up and until he's ready to play, we're not going to to go too far in depth. I mean, the only reason we're addressing it now is because there was something to address. Um, but other than that, you know, yeah, it's it's just we're talking about the New Orleans Pelicans. And right now, Zion Williams isn't a part of that, for better or for worse. Um, but Friday, they're back at it against Phoenix. No Chris Paul. I think, you know, they always have a chance. But they've got to defend. they got to defend. It starts there. Anything else, you guys? Uh, Fishy, what's your last word? No, I agree with you. The team, I mean, I, I love that they brought on CJ, but kind of what they did rotationally once they added him, they got away from their their mentality defensively, and they need to get back to that. And a lot of that is the personnel choices of who's going to play and who yes. they're going to play with. And if you want to if you want to defend again, um, that that's the first step. And it, I mean, they they got a little bit there, sliding Devonte onto the bench. Um, they need to make some more steps towards that role. And one of the biggest things is they need to start playing Jose Alvarado more. Alvarado and Snell need to be getting at least twenty minutes a night each. You know, Alvarado still need those twenty at least twenty minutes a night. Oh, I loved Alvarado's minutes. I want them. Am I saying? Am I am I wrong, guys? Am no. I wrong? Alvarado Snell twenty plus well, minutes a night. Yeah, show me why he doesn't deserve it, right? And yeah. we can't find a reason. If you look at the numbers, look at what he does to teammates, what he brings, right? It can't just be Herb Jones as being a point of attack defender. The Pelicans need more, and Jose can give that to them. They need it sorely. Kevin, your final words? Yeah, I mean, the only reason I really went with uh, with Jackson in the starting lineup is because I've already like moved on from the season. If we make it to the play-in, it's cool. If not, but I feel like you saw some stuff from Jackson at the four offensively that looked like it could work, and especially when he's playing with guys like CJ and um, and uh, Jose that can actually make his life easier offensively. So we can see if he is somebody that's worth investing in for the future and see if he can figure out defensively if he can make just playing that sort of free safety roaming defender uh, situation work at, at some point, but that's the main reason I want to handle a lot of minutes towards the end of this season is because you're about to come up on that decision on is he part of the future or not. And I think, you know, if he's not, then you want to know this off season so you can make that move and address it. So that's, that's one of the main things I want to look at going into, um, into next year. Sound cases all, I, I mean, I'm, I, I think we all have, there are reasons and there are good reasons behind each of them. I don't think anybody said anything nuts. I mean, like if somebody had come up and been like, we're going to start Temple and Willie and no, 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 then, then we'd have a problem. But I think, you know, rational men, we did a good job. Um, so until the next time, guys, we will do this again for Kevin Barrios, David Fisher, Ali Cosell, and myself, David Grubb. Uh, this has been the bird calls. And in the words of our friend, Preston Ellis, let's go Pels.
for listening to the Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today.